Plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. What'd you say? Plus minus. Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well respected. Plus minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome to a special edition of Warriors Plus Minus. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a cleaner, Slater. I don't clean. You know what I'm saying? That's what that's what we pay people for. You know, we got a little money now, so we can hire cleaners. But apparently, this is something to do with cleaning. I don't understand. Help me out, Slater. Uh, apparently, uh, what the inaugural Windex uh, Cleaning the Glass Award. It's going to Kevon Looney. Kevon, when did you hear about this? Uh, I learned about it in the summertime. Uh, I saw it going around on Instagram. It was when next was doing the top glass cleaner award. Uh, I didn't think I was going to win, but the fans voted for me, and I got the opportunity to win. So it's uh, it's been a huge honor. I'm the top glass cleaner in the in the world right now, <laughs> so I'm uh, excited to say that. And, and it was a huge honor. I mean, of all the awards you expected to get in your career coming out of Milwaukee. Did you ever expect that you get an award for rebounding? <laughs> uh, no. i always been good at rebounding, but I didn't think I was going to get an award for it. They usually don't give people awards for rebounding. They, they'd be hating on this a little bit. So uh, Windex took the time out to, to show us uh, big man some credit and his glass cleaner some credit, and I was the first one to get it. So I'm hyped about it. Did you give the award to your father? Did you give him like a bottle of Windex or something? Like how did that – what was their process? So I, I got it, and they gave it to me in Milwaukee at my camp. I got to share it with all my uh, campers and my uh, friends and family back at home. Got to celebrate there, and then I took it home to the, back to the Bay, and I gave it to my parents just sitting there in their house. Uh, my mom had me clean up the, the wipe off all the tables and stuff for all the times because I was a windows cleaner at, at birth. <laughs> so, so it's, it, it was pretty cool. What's your favorite rebounding game ever? Game six, Memphis 22, or put game seven, Sacramento, when you just kind of like really stuck the dagger. And what'd you get? I, what'd you have in that game? Total rebounds in the sack game? I think it was 21. 21, okay. yeah. But it was like, wasn't it like 10 offensive rebounds in the third quarter? Maybe another game. I don't think it's another game. I think it's one of those two. Uh, I would probably say the Memphis one was probably my favorite. Uh, just because it was good Steven Adams. He's like the, like the, uh, the I always consider him like my uh, nemesis when it comes to rebounding because he makes it super difficult. And we had just got whooped by like four, like 40 or 50 in Memphis and we got destroyed on the glass by like 30. And so uh, for me to be able to, you know, I, I was coming off the bench. I started that game and me be able to show up and make a difference like that. So that was probably my favorite one. Who are your top three toughest guys to rebound against? I mean, I assume it sounds like Steven Adams is one of them. I would say Steven Adams, uh, Mitchell Robinson gives me a tough time. And uh, when Jokic puts his mind up that he's going to go off his rebound every time, he's probably uh, one of the toughest as well. So those three usually are pretty tough. I would have expected somebody different than Jokic, but – is it just his size, or is it like how long his arms are? Like, what makes him? Uh, it's a little bit of both. He's he's a, a big guy. Like, so when he's on the block, it's hard to move him off the block, and he has the ball a lot, so he's making his move, and he got a great second jump. So if your teammate's not coming to help you uh, uh, rebound, it's, it's gonna be a tough night because uh, he's gonna do all these spin moves, fakes. He's gonna be out of the position, and then he's gonna kind of lay, lay on you. You're not gonna be able to get the rebound. So. Uh, 
And he, uh, he worked out with he, – he used to get coached by Decky, so I know uh, Decky taught me all the same stuff. He you know, So he know all my tricks and stuff, so he makes it a little different as well. Whatever you can share, but what's your best uh, – by the way, he's refer- anyone listening, he's referring to Dejan Milojevic, who coached – uh, you know, Jokic in, in Serbia and is, is a Warriors assistant. Now, what is the best trick or one trick that he showed you? I would say uh, a lot of times in the game, he would point out to me about uh, my hand positioning a lot. Uh, sometimes I get my hands a little low and I kind of, then when I push, I get a lot of, I might get some push in the backs uh, uh, calls on me. And uh, he always talked about keeping my hands high. And when you keep them high, you're able to push more and get, get away with a lot more. And uh, so that's probably one of the biggest things that I, I learned so I don't pick up as many fouls when I'm being aggressive trying to rebound is being able to keep my hands high and I, I'm able to push guys and uh, get away with a lot more. Marcus, I know you got some subjects you want to get to. Well, I want to know since he brought it up, Loon, are you a dirty player on the low? Are you sneaky dirty? Uh, I wouldn't say dirty, but I, I hit pe- I'm a physical player for sure. I hit people, and but it's part of the game. And in the paint, I don't think big man can be dirty like that. I ain't gonna lie to you. Crafty's the political term for that, right? I guess I think in when the paint, everything goes. That's my rule. You grabbing dudes and pinching and elbowing, you doing all that kind of little sneaky stuff veterans do. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm doing it all. That's what we do. Big man, it's all part of the game. You gonna get elbowed. You gonna get. You gonna get tripped. You gonna get fouled. <laughs> Slayer, he said, "Ain't no rules in the paint." <laughs> yeah, ain't no, ain't no rules. <laughs> Yeah, there ain't no rules. If you now out there on the perimeter, that's a different thing. I ain't I ain't gonna be walking up under nobody or nothing like that. But in the paint, you get elbows, you get elbows. But hold on, like the one the one persisting gripe we've heard with the Warriors, even dating back to Bogut, is the illegal screens. Like <laughs> what percentage of the screens you set would you say are actually illegal? Illegal? I'd probably say like I can't. I don't say legal screen. I'm saying like two percent of my screens are illegal. I'm a, I'm a great screen setter. If the draft don't call it, it's not illegal. How about Bogan and Draymond? What percentage would you give them? I learned from them. I say they they probably do it even less. They probably ninety nine percent. They don't say, uh, so one percent of theirs is illegal. They ain't sending legal screens. So you saying everybody else just whining and these are good screens? For sure, for sure. Because everybody else says screen just like us. I think we 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 uh. We are we are the standard of screen setting. I think is that you do hear that though, right? I feel like that's for been sure. a narrative about y'all forever. For sure, I see clips on Instagram, on Twitter all the time of us setting screens. Uh, it's funny when I uh, we like we play like New Orleans and uh, Collins is he'd be on the sideline before I even set a screen. He complained to the ref, "Watch out for the moving screen! Watch out for the moving screen!" Like you taught me how to do this. What are you talking about? <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it's, it's it's pretty funny that uh. You no, know, you get the coaches yelling at the rest, and you no, know, you do they doing all of that uh, complaining. But I, that usually works for like one. I might get one or two because of, of people complaining. I, I still don't think I'm I'm setting moving screens, but uh, it comes with the territory. Y'all went through an ordeal last year with the whole incident with Draymond and Jordan Poole, and Steve Kerr came out of that saying you were like the greatest human on earth or something like that. Uh, what when something like that go down? Um, did you feel like? Like, all right, it's part of my responsibility to bring this locker room back together. Like, what was your process for the for getting involved and kind of repairing that whole situation? Uh, definitely. Uh, me being one of the guys that's been there before, uh, guy who did, we just won a championship, so uh, we had a lot of some new faces in the, in the locker room. I feel like it was my responsibility with a few other guys just to make sure everything could go back to as normal as possible. Uh, it's never easy to do that, but 
Uh, you got to be able to use your voice. I know I'm somebody that was close with everybody, that had a relationship with everybody. I kind of try to spend time with everybody to, to get to that to that level. Uh, so just using my voice, uh, getting everybody's opinions, making sure everybody feel like they're, they're heard uh, is, is my job. You know, uh, people come to Vince and me a lot. Uh, that's kind of been my role in the team for the last few years. So when people tell me stuff is just be able to make sure that they're heard. If they don't want to speak in front of the team, that I'm, I'm a, a willing to you know say what people gripes are. I'd kind of love to hear your perspective on not just James Wiseman, but but you know the situation like them bringing James Wiseman in the whole two timeline thing, which became such a talking point, obviously around the franchise, um, right. and just. In some ways, the tough situation he was brought into the the you know way it kind of tilted last year. He obviously gets traded, but um, just kind of the state of, of how that all went down. I think it's always tough uh, when you're a top pick and you're coming on a team where you got three players that's still in their prime uh, doing what they do at a high level because you don't get the chance to to make a mistakes that you would normally do on a, on a losing team. Uh, I feel like it was a learning process for for him and for uh, you know J.K. Moses. They learn they're trying to play championship basketball when they're learning just learn how to play NBA basketball at the same time. I think that's a, a tough thing to do. Uh, and for James, thing was I think the biggest thing for him he got injured a few times. He missed a lot of time as well. So you don't get it's hard to learn how to play by just watching. You know you don't play in college and then you come here. Uh, during the COVID year, battling through injuries. Then you have the knee injury, missed out pretty much the whole year. That's kind of tough to come back from and play at a high level, at least play at a championship level. So uh, I know how that, how that feels to be able to try to play winning basketball and rehab at the same time. You kind of lose your confidence, you kind of lose your way. And uh, so I think that, that was tough for James as a team. BB uh, uh, on the other side this time where I know the older guys, you know, they're patient, but – they're trying to win right now. They don't got so many you know, years left. And as a young guy, you feel like, man, I, I'm just trying to figure it out how to you know, play basketball in the NBA, let alone win a championship. So I think it, it's, it was tough uh, for everybody involved just because of just the the standard we were trying to play at. Uh, we went from not making the playoffs to winning the championships. So, uh, you know, you you thinking that our, it's going to be kind of the same type of thing when you're uh, coming off your rookie year and then uh, – you know, the levels change where now you're playing for a championship. It's kind of, you no, know, it's a totally different type of style of play. And I think that it was tough for our young guys. And I think last year it was even tougher just because we were defending the title and we got the the, the arrow on the bullseye on our back, everybody giving us our best every night. And be able to play at that level every night as a young guy, it's always tough. You know, uh, most most humans, right, especially us from like the hood, we would look at that situation and be like, yeah, that's what y'all get for trying to draft somebody in my spot. Get him up out of here. Let's run him up out of here. But nah. how do you how like how do you balance the competitive nature of like this is your livelihood? You playing for contracts, you play, you know, but also here's a young man who like you want to help, right? You wanna right. you wanna develop him. Like, like how, how do you balance that? And was there any part of you that were like I mean, he good. He he's still getting his money. He's still on the team. But hey, let that be a lesson to y'all about the next time you draft somebody in my spot. No, nah, not at all. It's just like when I when I got drafted, uh, all my veterans showed me they took me under their wing. Uh, they didn't feel threatened. I mean, I wasn't a number two pick either. But uh, like Bogey, Draymond, D. West, Zaza, they all showed me a lot of love. They made sure. Uh, 
you know, they taught me everything they they poured into me everything they, that they had. So I feel like it was my responsibility to, to make sure that I did the same for him. Uh, now we got two different styles of play. I feel like we were two different people. Uh, so I didn't feel threatened by it. I already know how our team kind of works. I already know my role is kind of be the same if we got a, a, a new, another big man or, or not. I played when we had DeMarcus Cousins. He was playing my spot. And I, I still played the same amount of minutes for since I've been here. So uh, a lot of my, a lot of times it, it didn't change that much. So I didn't really care. I just wanted to you know, go out there and be the best version of myself. And also I feel like if I poured into him and he's able to succeed, that just shows my value as a as a leader and as a as a mentor. And I always take pride of being a, a mentor in uh in basketball, even in life. So uh I just wanted to challenge myself to do better at that. And uh I don't know if I did a good job, but at least I tried. Later, that's that moral compass talk right there. That's what that's what happens when you're the Gandhi of the team. You feel me? That's what you say. I was say I'm Gandhi, but <laughs> hey, I, I want to test it again, just like you tested it. Do you ever feel like, man, the league undervalues me, underrates me? I mean, just you've gone into free agency several times, even after big playoff runs, and had people like me and Marcus being like, uh oh, you know, Warriors might lose him, somebody might come after him, and you know it. I mean, obviously, you've gone back to the words. I know other teams, have, especially in your last free agency, showed interest, but um, mm. didn't necessarily bite fully to to show you the big payday. That uh, wh- whereas other centers across the league, that I think a lot of metrics and definitely playoff uh, level performances would say you're better than. I see it kind of both ways. So sometimes I feel like, yeah, I definitely feel undervalued about what I get paid sometimes or the credit that I get. And sometimes the guys they put up before me, I feel like uh, I feel like I'm just as good, or uh, I played I played in bigger games than them, and I and I perform better than they have. But uh, but when then when I play at home and I get the love that I get from the Warriors fans, they treat me like I'm a legend. Like they, I, I almost get too much credit now. But so it's, it's kind of like a it kind of goes both ways. Where I feel like I get a lot of love from our our team and uh, our fan base, and they treat me like I'm the best center in the league. And uh, even though even though I don't deserve it. Uh, but then across the league, I see lists where they say these guys are this and that. And I feel like uh, when it comes to you no know, centers, they don't always get to play at the end of the game. They always get played off the court. Uh, but I always find a way to you know stay on the court and not um, play on championship level teams. And that's the ultimate goal. So I, I feel like I'm undervalued sometimes. Uh, but when I'm here in the Bay, I feel like I'm almost overvalued. I get a lot of love and they treat me like I'm, like I'm Steph or somebody. So I, I can't I can't say that uh, when I'm here. So hold on, you you went into the first round of the playoffs and did what a lot of people thought you wouldn't do. You, you I mean, you can we say Slater that he dominated Sabonis? I know he's not going to say. It. Can we say that he at at minimum neutralized Sabonis? I'll just say this: I've been to some Kings practices this year, and the Kings are talking about how like the how the Warriors played Sabonis in that series has made them need to alter the way that they're attacking offensively. So whatever whatever that tells you, and you could look at the rebounding numbers. So after this happens, he signs for like. <laughs> 75 80 million i know no shade on him obviously i get his money but what are you thinking in that moment when you see like yo i literally just outplayed this dude and you ain't listen you a human at some point and you from milwaukee every time that a big man gets paid i am ecstatic because it's always summers where they try to like big men are getting the minimal contract, even though we have back like we don't we, it's like the running backs in the NFL. Like, oh, we just get another center that we don't like we're not important. So whenever I see a another center get paid, 
I was like, all right, well, if he got that, I should at least be able to get whatever I just, I, whatever I want. Uh, so I, I kind of look at it like that. So I don't never try to uh, say, man, I should be getting this. But I also feel like whenever a big man gets paid, I feel like great because when my time comes, I should be able to get something because, you know, they always try to act like the big man isn't important that, you know, we're not, you know, they try to put us on the bench and at the end of games and we're not key to winning. But I feel like we are and I feel like we play a big difference in uh, winning or losing a championship. So for us to get paid like that is always great to see. Man, that, that is an incredible answer right there. That is why. He is Kevon Looney. You know what I'm saying, Slater. I was like, perfect. That's just let's let's that's let's how you script him it. down on the starting lineup. Let's see if he'll just demand that Steve Kerr start. Yeah. I'm, hey, I'm man. I'm about to start. I'm I'm gonna speak. I'm gonna say what you ain't saying then. Like, what? That you know somebody needs to be giving. Hey, hey. If he getting eighty million, he should go on the slide thirty to you just because. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely. Uh, hey, when it, when it's that time to talk about it, I'm gonna. Uh, I might have you on on, on the call. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's do it. You, know, you might have talked to Joe for me. <laughs> so you know, obviously, the big topic is you know who's gonna start. You guys have six starters, and you've like been in this position more times than you can count. Is there a part of you that maybe is like I'm used to it? So if I need to come off the bench again, I can. Or do you feel like I've reached a point where I've kind of passed that, you know, I've arrived. I feel like I'm, I'm used to it. And this, this is like a different type of uh, the other five guys that probably if they're going to start, going to start over. Their guys are all stars. It's not like, all right, but they brought in somebody that I feel like I'm just my resume is better. I'd have been here. But these guys are like, you know, bringing Chris Paul. He's a Hall of Famer. We just made the All-Star game not too long ago. Clay, uh, Clay's. They 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 are bona fide in their position and status in the league. So for me to be on a same level or or Steve say I'm not just gonna give it to him just because it's just that's a that's a win for me because I know in the years past it'd have been all right long you just go to the bench no matter what. So for me to get opportunity to you know, start some games and close some games is a uh, uh, is a you know it's cool for me. Uh, I feel like I, I I've earned it. I feel like uh, I am a starter in the NBA, but. I feel like the other guys are, are, are starters as well. So uh, I'm used to it. So if I got to come off the bench, it's, it's, it is what it is. I'm used to it. I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to you know, try to be the best in my role. But uh, like I said, like I, I feel like I've, I've earned that uh, to be seen as a starter in the league and to be put on that, on that same level as those guys is, is an amazing feat for me. That's a diplomatic podcast appearance by uh, Kavon Looney. <laughs> Man, he is good. He is good. You know, just just giving just giving the people uh, you know what that what happens in the locker room why he is viewed as uh you know hey uh, shout out to your girl man I know she this she's she's done some good work with you it was a good <laughs> <laughs> I give her no, no no credit I'm taking the credit <laughs> all right well yeah we'll let you get out all of right, here thank you bro appreciate it all right thank you I I tried my best later. I tried. I tried to bait him into to something just to see if this was real. You know what I will say? I mean, well, again, we were joking with him about it. I mean, obviously, he is like he he can dance around questions very well, which is a skill uh, that people know. You know, that's part of the w- way you got a good standing in a locker room is you deal with us the way he deals with us. Yeah, absolutely. No um, question. But at the same time, as delicately as he can dance around that stuff, you can hear it a little bit like that confidence that is earned over what he's done the last couple of years, the two eighty two game seasons, the the way he's you know raised his level in the playoffs. And you can hear it even in the starting lineup answer where it's like, again, he is giving credit to the, you know, Hall of Famers that that he's around, but also like, you know, 
you can kind of tell he's like, you know, I've earned a starting job because he has. I don't think anything he said was not accurate, right? He really believes what he's saying. I don't think he's like putting on to, you know, he, he knows how to say what he thinks without disparaging anybody else. But you're right. Like you were here for the early years of Looney. What was it like second year when you got here? Like, so you've seen the the maturation like he wasn't like this where he's just like man you throw it at me i can talk like no matter what it is and i'll be comfortable with what i have to say and i'll say it right like that's who loon is and and i do feel like you know we've witnessed him like become this leader in a locker room uh especially after that memphis series when they were essentially telling steve kerr like we need him on the court but well, remember, really, it wasn't just Steve Kerr. It was Mike Brown because Steve Mike Kerr's Brown, protocol. Right. They get popped right. by, what was it, 55 or something in Memphis. And, yes, yeah, Draymond and Steph on the plane back from Memphis telling Mike Brown, start him. Start him, yeah. And, and then, obviously, last year, his role in, you know, dealing with that situation. Like, he's become a 20, what, 27-year-old <laughs> sage veteran. In a way that you, I don't know. I didn't see this coming from Looney. Like I didn't see it from back in the day. I wanted so to ask him about it. We just, you know, obviously didn't get the chance to. But you see this video. He was at the Rico Hines Summer League. You know what? Are, you, they have pickup games this summer, and is Russell Westbrook like quieting the gym because he's like, I want to hear what Kavon Looney has to say. He's like, the, you know, and he obviously and hypes with up all Kavon, these like, like hey, superlatives guy, before, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting peek into I mean, it was a little bit like what he was saying earlier about how, look, you know, maybe nationally or league-wide, he hasn't maybe gained the re- reputation. It's certainly not the financial uh, security that, that uh, you might expect, but locally – He's viewed as such a like legend for all these small things, but I thought that was a peek into like league wide, like the respect and and the admiration for Looney. Like it's it is high at this point for what he does. Oh yeah, keep think about like all the times opposing teams have like game plan for Steph and Clay. You know, I guess you can even say like KD right uh, during those Houston series and. Like Looney was doing something that they just like, man. And you know, I could one thousand percent see it be like, man, can you go deal with that dude, Looney, while we over here trying to? And it's like, nah, I actually can't. I'm trying, but this dude is hurting me, right? Like he's getting every, every rebound. I mean, if if you if you win, if you're a winner in this league, if you know what it takes to win, if you won before, it's almost impossible to not look at Looney and see what he does, right? That's the thing. The, the people who who win, they can see it. Like they could witness it. Like they, they don't say the Warriors win because of shooting. The people who win is going to talk about all the other stuff they do and how they defend. So I feel like there are winners in the league who recognize what Looney does just because it's spotable. I sat down with Harrison Barnes the other day. Um, and he was, you know, he's talking about the sting of that, that playoff series that, that loss that they had. And he, while mentioning, you know, that he felt like the Kings were right there and there was obviously moments, including his own shot in game four, that they could have won the series if it if one or two things flipped differently. He mentions, you know, but credit to Steph for his, you know, almost like, you know, I got to give credit, credit to Steph for his game seven performance. And then the only other player he mentioned, he goes, and credit to Kevon Looney. You know, I, I don't remember what the exact quote or terminology was, but basically like he was dominant on the boards. I mean, you remember that game seven, like, it is Steph's 50, but that third quarter, I believe he had 10 offensive rebounds in the third quarter. Have you quarter. watched that game again? 
it's Yo, insane. That game is nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. I think there was a. I believe that the possession where you literally felt Golden One Center's break was when I think Looney had. I think it was four offensive rebounds on one possession, and by the fourth, it was like that raucous crowd was like they were like flipping their beers over, like and he's right. like flexing, like yeah, like. It was like it. It was so in sync with the with the announcers. They're talking about it, and he's literally just <laughs> grabbing. It's like here he goes again and again. It just felt it felt like forty rebounds. Like when you watch it again, I I remember him having a lot of rebounds live. I remember talking about it, but watching it again, it felt like even more. It felt like he grabbed every rebound. Well, it was I mean, unbelievable. Wiggins didn't shoot it well. Clay shot it poorly that game. Pool shot it poorly. Like they were not making shots. They just he kept getting the rebounds at, at key time. How does he end on the floor? This because season? like yeah, it just it just feels like what we've learned, and maybe this is more of a playoff thing, right, than a regular season. But the last two meaningful postseasons, <laughs> Kavon Looney has been the dude you can't pull off the floor late in games. Yeah, I mean, look, this goes back to that Celtics series when Draymond's not playing well and Steve Kerr makes what was, it really was a bold choice to bench Draymond regardless of if, you know, the game script played out where you should. I mean, remember even Draymond in the aftermath talking about like, if we don't win that game, yes, you know, how big a problem he was going to have with it. So, um, but when you play the way he's played, I think less and less, Steve Kerr deciding to close with Looney over Draymond, or there might be games closing with Looney and Draymond, but not Chris Paul, not Andrew Wiggins. You know, there are Andrew Wiggins just no shows, right? There are games where he yeah. no shows. Uh, Clay, the same. I doubt you'll be benching Steph ever, but but basically anybody else, if if Steve Kerr chooses Looney over him, not only to start, but to close, because of what Kavon Looney has done the last two years, and particularly the last two postseasons, it can't be that controversial. Yeah, no, nah, I think you made it. Yeah, but you got the forgot the Memphis series. It wasn't the West Finals, but it was the semifinals. So it was the Memphis series, then the Celtics series. Then I don't remember. I don't think they needed a bunch in Dallas. It wasn't. They were well. That was the Wiggins ball. series, right? The way he yeah, was that defending was the Luka, series, and they, yeah. he dunked on Luca. That was kind of like, yeah. the, and they just and they, they, they. I will say better. this: you, you want to know what I remember from the Dallas series? Looney in Dallas. You know, we sit very close, and Looney had like three offensive rebounds and like a sequence of play where it was game three. It was when it was like clearly like Dallas's crowd was realizing like this series is over. They're about to go up three Oh and some guy they, and the Dallas Mavericks fan base is very down on Dwight Powell, even though he's been there 10 years, he continues to outplay the guys they bring in, but it's still like, he's kind of underwhelming as a starting center. And one Mavericks, it was like the arena was somewhat quiet, and one Mavericks fan was like, "Why can't we get a guy like Looney at center?" I remember yelling that, <laughs> and that was a moment where I was like, "Jeez, man, this guy's reputation!" Like we have Dallas Mavericks fans pleading, "Like why can't we get Looney?" And and you're sitting there thinking, like, "Trust me, he he was available." If you spiked his price a little bit, you know, one time in the last eight times he's been, the Warriors have tried to kick him to the he curb. Been gone. Yeah, he been gone. like he could have been had by plenty of teams over the years. No question. I'm curious, though. I mean, obviously, the difference, the reason he's not getting the money is largely to do with offense, right? It's like he's not scoring, and, you know, if you're a screener and a rebounder. Not a lob threat, not a three-point shooter. Yeah, not a lot for three. And the, the rebounding and the screening makes a lot of sense. Like, it's obviously great. He's the best at it. But if you're a team and you don't have a Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, it's like, 
how valuable is that? But I do notice like he's gotten better finishing around the rim. Uh, he's he's pulled out that little mid range jumper more than he's ever he's ever done it. He's hit a couple of them. I'm curious if that confidence we hear like in his voice and how he talks translates to him going for the offense knowing after multiple times on the free agent market not getting paid what he deserves if he's like hey i can do this and i got the place to do this uh maybe i could be a little bit more aggressive offensively or when you have adding chris paul to the mix there's just not enough ball to go around and you know he just stays the one thing we would both say about him is knows his game knows his limitations knows the ecosystem of a team and and the pie chart of you know shot attempts there are going to be games where he takes it six shots in the first quarter because the game demands it right they're yeah, leaving yeah. him and he's he'll take the shots particularly we're talking layups but i in no way think suddenly he's going to be like i need to start to get to my 15 footer like did no he's just he's not i and do think he turns shots. down some though right don't you think like some shots where it's like it'll take yeah that. and i think like, nah. i think that steve kerr and kevon looney have probably had conversations over the years like yeah just turn that down like you know he might be able to hit it but also like you know clay's over there wiggins over there steph's over there chris ball's Dribble handoff here. baby <laughs> yeah just get to the dho like the only time you really see him take a jump is like late in the clock late in the and clock somebody's yep. sagging way off him and it'll stay that way because it should like you know this isn't about the one thing, and you know, this is what coaches, this is what teammates love. Like, he's not a b- trying to maximize his earnings, even if it hurts the team slightly. The cold part about that, Slater, is those are the guys you want to win. You know what I'm saying? Not just like win games, but those are the guys you want to see get paid. You know, those are the guys you want to see get reap the rewards. But they I just... will say, I think he's living all right. I think he's living. All right. Yeah, I mean, compared to me and you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like you're also right, like he he wouldn't be a legend anywhere else. Like he might get no. his jersey retired, like on some, you know what I'm saying? Like he might he might be part of a statue series. Yeah, the somewhere. and the Warriors have been beneficiaries, but you know, the same summer he's getting like seven, eight million a year for three years, coming off that was the title coming off the title. Marvin Bagley's getting like three for 36 from the Pistons and like Hartenstein's yeah. getting more and like, you know, name your random senator. Across the, for, like you understand why a Demonis opponents gets paid big. The Kings should have oh, yeah, done no what question. they did. No question. But the, but it's the, it is like the Marvin Bagley's of the world where you're, you know, huh? Like imagine if the, you know, Pistons could just lure to Looney, like how that would help just their environment and locker room and lineups and young guys and, I understand that that his offensive limitations that I, I am curious how it would play in a non-Steph environment. But at the same time, like I just I think he'd be a, a better value signing than a lot of the centers you see get more than he than he's got. I think so. I points. for sure think so. But I also feel like he's just so interwoven into the fabric of the Warriors that at some point it's just, you know, you take you take what you can get and you just ride off into the sunset with these guys. Yeah, right, I remember like, like the Bulls were interested uh, that year, and you know maybe they would have matched or went a little bit higher, and, and and that's you know those that marginal difference you go back to where you're comfortable, but you know I don't know it's interesting. Is there any non Looney topics you want to talk about, or just save that for another podcast? This is the Kavon Looney uh, episode. I did wanted to ask you this. I was gonna ask you off, like you know, just text you, but uh, I figured I might as well ask you now. Pajipski looked uh, looked. 
I didn't expect that from him. Based on what we'd seen in Summer League and you remember our experience. Like, yeah. and watching that preseason game, I saw exactly why they like him. Like, it's yeah. the hustle. It's the playing hard, right? It's the he was far more under control than I'd seen him. Like, pulling it back out, taking his time, picking his spots. Like, I was thinking he might not see the floor on some, you know, Ryan Rollins tip. But well, yeah, I will say he's the beneficiary. He's the beneficiary of Corey Joseph missing the first couple weeks. Yeah, uh, yeah. With a back because because he was playing the Corey Joseph role in that second unit. But I agree with you, and it did seem like one of those players. Like, oh, okay, you know, you get him around better players. You get him in an environment yes. where he's not like you know in summer league. We're looking at him, right? Like, do something. We're here to see you. You're the first round pick. Uh, whereas you know, in, in that lineup, it's like, oh, he snuck a layup in. You know, he had like, what, probably like four or six points. Yeah. But it was like, you know, those are important little chip-ins from, from your backup point guard that he can kind of sneak in and get. Um, he's under control. He had the comment, I think it was on NBC Sports post game about like how much he respects Gary Payton because not everyone can be Steph, can be Clay, And like to hear that from your rookie is like, that's an encouraging mindset um, that translates to the floor and Look, we know what the Warriors value. We know what Steve Kerr likes. And he does some stuff that's going to, that will play well with Steve. And he wasn't like, he took a charge. He tried to take another charge. He could tell he's going to be one of those players where it's like, all right, man, you know, like relax. Try to take, like, four Stay charges on your feet. Today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he's figuring out ways to impact defensively. We know the rebounding numbers, right? From Santa Clara, even into that first preseason game. So, you know, he's got a chance to, to nibble his way into maybe some minutes, but I still think a lot of Santa Cruz is ahead of him. And the reality is another player, Steve Kerr is going to like to play is Corey Joseph. And he's going to lean vet. He's Steve Kerr said this pregame, you know, rookies have to come take the job from veterans. The veterans enter the year in the rotation. So that's that what feels it like a noted philosophical change. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a philosophical time. The last yeah, uh, it was definitely. He's like, all right, here, we're, we're going to do this now. But yeah, I just noticed, I was like, okay, like I like I like his I like his flow on the court much more than the last time I saw him play. It's like oh, okay, now nah, I could see. You, his I mean, he played all he played pickup all summer. He was around the gym. He's in really good shape. He got used to playing with the vets. Do, do you think it's just hey, it's like he improved, or is it just different environment, different circle? I do think it's I do think a big part is what you said. He's one of those players that's better when the players around him are better, not simply just because. The bar is lowered, right? Like, hey, man, just make a layup where instead of in summer league, whatever, he's got to create offense. But, you know, so much of basketball is like that uh, unscripted kind of uh, chemistry and knowing how to play and knowing when to cut and where and all that. Like, all that stuff matters more when you have people on the court who can kind of feel it and take advantage. He's going to have all those, the very things that had Steve Kerr playing Anthony Lamb so much. Not the stuff that's visible, the little stuff, the knowing when to set a screen, knowing how to get out the way. Like, he's got a lot of those little little parts to his game that I think matters more when you have people around you who know what you're doing. So now it's like, hey, you know, you, I, you didn't see him in the way of anybody, right? Like, he knew... There was one drive where it was like he I think he tried to force one, did a little inside out, and it didn't work. Next time he had kind of a similar look, and he just pulled it back out and it set up like somebody else slashing through the middle, like just little stuff like that. I was like, all right, 
now I see why. I didn't always see why they drafted him. Like it wasn't always obvious. You, I heard it. Like I heard what they said, but I hadn't seen it, and I could see the the glimpse. I was like, oh, okay, now, now I get it. I meant to, I meant to hit you about that. Yeah, no, I agree, and I do think like the the upper level of his game at times. You know, you see the college highlights. It's like, look at this, like step back three. Some of that you're like, look, that's just you know maybe down the line in his career if he. It, you know, emerges, but for now, like that part's almost irrelevant. It is the small stuff. That's what yeah, we'll get need on that. the floor. You don't need that. Well, I'll see you in Sacramento, I'm sure. So I have a Clay Thompson story coming out probably Wednesday. Uh, sit down interview with him that I would like, you know, if anyone wants to read it, he, he gave me a lot of good, good uh, quotes. So look out yeah, for that. We want to read. Know, we want to read. We want to read. Sit down with Clay Thompson. That's what we want to read. We look okay. To well, then guess what? You're going to get a treat uh, probably Wednesday morning, I think. Uh, so look out for it. All right. Well, this is the uh, the cleaning up episode that I don't clean up. So that's not that's not what I do around here, buddy. All right. Wrap it. We'll we'll be back uh, later with a new podcast.